Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We are going to finish the book of Habakkuk today, so if you've got your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to take a second just to pull up my notes. Um, So you notice Habakkuk moved rather quickly, uh, only three chapters, which means we'll be in a new book next week. Uh, We've been alternating between an Old Testament uh, minor prophet and a New Testament epistle. Um, And so um, when we finish the book of Habakkuk, we'll go back into the New Testament. We're going to study the book of 2 John. That will take us one week. (laughs) There's only one chapter in the book of 2 John, so Daniel. Danny, you've got a lot to do in the next few weeks. He does our graphics for us. Um, and so um, next week, Second John, then back into another minor prophet, which I haven't picked yet. So, And then the week, and then uh, shortly after that, the book of Third John, which is only a chapter long as well. Uh, and then the book of Jude after that. And so we'll be moving through several books rather quickly here uh, shortly. So um, you guys like, those of you that were here last week, the book of, Habakkuk, yes. it's kind of an encouraging book, I think, um, because it, Habakkuk is asking the question, why? Um, in the midst of this conversation between Habakkuk and uh, the Lord, Habakkuk sees the idol worship that has happened in the nation of Judah, and as they've fallen away from the Lord, he asks them, asks God, what are you, why? Why is this happening? Why, why is this going on? And what are you going to do about God, basically? And God says, if I told you what I was going to do, you wouldn't believe me anyway. You, you wouldn't believe it, you know? And, and Habakkuk evidently says, try me. We don't have that line in the first chapter, but he's like, hey, give me a shot. So, so God tells him, all right, Habakkuk, I'm getting the Babylonians to come and kick your tail. (laughs) And the Babylonians, those wicked people that everybody looks down upon, they're rising up as a nation. The Assyrian Empire was falling. The Babylonian Empire was on the rise. And I'm getting the Babylonian Empire. They're going to come in and clean out this idolatry. Habakkuk says, you're right. I don't believe it, God. I can't believe that you're going to do that. And so his question goes from, what are you going to do to, why are you doing this? Why are you using a nation more wicked than we are to bring judgment upon us? And then in chapter 2, Habakkuk does something very interesting. He says, I know that God is sovereign over all things. And I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if I have a disagreement with what God has to say, it's not God who needs to change, it's me. This is what Habakkuk is saying. And so in chapter 2, he says, I'll go to the tower 
and I will watch for him, and I will wait for him, and he can come and correct me. And that's, in fact, what happens throughout the rest of chapter 2. Habakkuk waits to be corrected, and God says, okay, let's set your theology right, let's set your doctrine right, and let's get the proper perspective. And what we said at the close of last week was, God is big enough to handle our questions of why. We will all go through difficult seasons in life. We will all endure pain and suffering and trial. It is, an, it is part of the sin nature that we have to deal with these things. And because of that, when trials come, our God is strong enough and big enough for us to ask him, why is this happening? But he's also loving enough to not leave us there. And the journey of Habakkuk is moving from the question of why to where we arrive today in worship. Moving from why to worship. Chapter 3, the close of the book, is a song. If you look at the last verse of chapter 3, it says, on the stringed instruments. And so we have our keyboard extraordinaire, uh, keyboardist extraordinaire, Danny, who is going to accompany me today. And this is sort of out of her comfort zone, so uh, we welcome her. Yeah. And uh, she's just going to play softly in the background while we collect her. Paychecks. I mean, <laughs> reach deep into your pocket. No. <laughs> well, while we read this, so after waiting on the Lord and allowing God to work on his heart, Habakkuk is now going to worship the Lord in song. And chapter 3, verse 1 says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shiganoth. I have no idea what Shiganoth means. In fact, there's some debate about as to what Shiganoth actually means. We know that this is set to music as because of verse 19. And often the Psalms, like if you read through the book of Psalms, gives us um, instruction in those. They were giving instruction. And so the Psalms would give us instructions. And so we think this word shiganoth is uh, um, either a descriptive word of the type of song it is or a specific um, instruction to the way the music would be played. Um, that I think the best understanding we have of the word is to cry out. And we know that he... In fact, in chapter 1, he says, I cry out unto you, O God. In fact, I scream at you, God. Um, we talked about that last week. And, and, and as he's expressing his uh, displeasure in his question, why? And so it would make sense that that's the type of song that it is, is a, a crying out to him. One of my favorite songs that we used to play for years and years and years is called Good to Me. The first line is, I cry out. For your hand of mercy to heal me. And it, it's a, an expression, a, a deep expression of the heart. You're also going to see the word as we read through this psalm, this song, the word selah, S-E-L-A-H. It happens in verse 3, in verse 9, and verse 13. Uh, that's a, another instructional word. Um, you see it several times throughout the psalms also. And again, we're not 100% what sure what it means, but 
it would appear as though it was a musical term for an interlude. So in other words, it's a point where the people wouldn't be singing, it would just be the instruments playing at that point, but there was an intent and a purpose to the interlude. It wasn't just a motive in nature. The point of the interlude was to say, when you said Selah, was to look at what you just sang, to review the words that you just sang, to ponder what it is that you just you just sang out loud, and we'll, we'll give you a break in the music to do that. And so we see that throughout the song three different times. And then, of course, we get the line on the stringed instruments in verse 19. It tells us what, how the song was to be played. They were played on string, in, string instruments. But it also tells us the type of song that it was. Because it was specifically played on the stringed instruments, it's a lament. It's a, it's a heart's cry, if you would, uh, type of song. And so that's... That's where he is. He's moving from why to worship, but even in his worship, he's expressing how he feels. It's neat as we read through the psalm, he declares how good and worthy God is. It's a, it's a nice picture, in my estimation, of how his heart journeys uh, throughout this book. So verse 2 says, O Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is saying, all right, God, you said I wouldn't believe what you're going to do. And you were right when you said I wouldn't believe it because I can't believe that you're bringing the Babylonians. But now that I've had time to process what you've said, it terrifies me. It makes me afraid. I've heard your speech and was afraid, he says. But, there's the phrase, revive your work in the midst of your years, in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. There is a submission in Habakkuk to say, yes, I'm afraid of what you're about to do. Yes, you're bringing the Babylonians and this terrifies me, this judgment that's coming. But have your way over. And you have in, in me have your way in our country have your way with 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 your power and with your might bring it to completion notice it says um, revive your work in the midst of the years a note on revival because I think if all of our hearts are genuinely tuned with the Lord we would want to see revival in our nation today amen uh, we want to see revival we need to recognize that revival is not a work of the church it's not a work of us he says, revive your work, O oh God. Revival is God's work. And all we do, or the part that we play as a church, is we say, Lord, come. Lord, have your way. Lord, revive your people. We, we don't invoke him to do it. It's his work. We just have to be willing. And that's where Habakkuk's heart was, is I'm willing. I'm afraid, but I'm willing. He says in wrath, remember mercy. We need to remember that God disciplines those whom he loves, that he does correct, that he does bring chastisement, that he does set the wrong right, not because he's a hateful father. I don't discipline my kids. Hey, boy, get out of the street. That's where the, the cars are because I hate my kids. We discipline them because we love them. God disciplines us because he loves us as well. In your wrath, Remember mercy. 
God disciplines because he loves, and because he loves us, he wants what's best for us. We read in the book of James that mercy triumphs over judgment. God does remember his mercy even as his correction comes. And Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that, right? Jesus going to the cross on our behalf is him absorbing his Father's wrath and giving us his mercy. And so mercy does triumph over judgment. But as his children, we need to allow him to correct us. Now we're going to read extensively the, the bulk of the psalm, picking up in verse 3. It says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah, there's our, think about that. Okay. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian tremble. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to neck, Selah. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of, the village, of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heat of the great waters. The body of this song is a declaration of God's power, of his might, of his sovereignty, which means he is in control of all things. Just looking back at some of the things that Habakkuk said in verse 4, raise or rays or beams of light from his hands. You've seen when the clouds part just right and the sun rays shine through that. It, it, it looks powerful. It's majestic in nature. And, and that's what the, the picture of God is here. Verse 9, he tells us, you divided the earth. You chose where the land was going to be, where the, the seas were going to be. You set the, the world in motion. You 
created all things. You divided the earth. That takes power. I can dig some earth. I can't divide it. Verse 10, the mountains tremble. We, um, as we spent some time in Hawaii, the, of course, the, the, the islands are in fact mountains, right? Uh, in fact, the largest mountains in the world. Um, uh, shoot, I can't remember which one now. One of them is 57,000 feet tall, which is like twice the size of Mount Everest, uh, going from the sea floor all the way to its peak. Um, the massive mountains. And, and, and Habakkuk says, these mountains tremble at the name of God. They, they find fear. There's not, they were just the, the majestic and splendorous. The, the, the beauty of the creation was just awe-inspiring. And when you come upon a mountain range, you know, I have to every time uh, us Ohioans, we need to explain what mountains are because we don't have them around here at all. But believe it or not, in different parts of the world, the earth just goes up, <laughs> right, into these mountains. And, and, you know, trucks have to downshift and, and to get up, you know, there, there's snow at the top of them. That was the wildest thing. You know, we were standing at a volcano crater where there's smoke coming up. And we look off to the right and at the peak of another one, it's, it's snow-capped. It's just beautiful. Those mountains tremble at the name of God. They bow and worship to him, and they can be moved in any moment by his power. That's the power of our God. Verse 11, the sun stood still. The moon stood still. We know of the story of Joshua needing extra time in the battle, and God, in fact, does hold the sun for him. We know that he has the power to do those things, though it boggle our mind logically. How is that even possible? I don't know. But God has done it, as evidenced by his word. Verse 12, you trampled the nations. Think of the powers that have come to be in the course of the history of you know, human nature. The, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Asian empires that have conquered the world, that have defeated everything upon earth. It, Isaiah tells us that he holds the, the king's heart in his hand and is able to manipulate it like a river, that God is in control and sovereign over all things. It, he tramples the nations. It, um, somebody puts it this way. When you go to Israel today, you have a Jewish tour guide giving you a tour of Roman, Roman, Roman ruins. Right? That tells you something. Rome, the strongest empire that ever lived, yet the Jews are the one now giving you the tour of those fallen empires because God's hand has always been with them. Verse 13, and probably the most critical thing, a declaration of his might, it says, you are the salvation of your people. He is our Savior. He is the one who saves. It is his arm, his mighty hand, that saves us. And as we move from our questions of why to a position of worship, our greatest help to do that is to remember the power and the might of our God. And then the depth of love that he has for us and that he became our Savior. As you read through the psalm, the bulk of the psalm, verse 3 through Verse uh, 15, 16, wherever we finish, 15. 
We mentioned last week, we don't know a whole, a whole lot about Habakkuk and who he was exactly. We don't know a lot about even the history or the time that this was written. And some would even, and as we read the bulk of this song, there's even debate about what he was saying. Or who, when he was speaking of, or, or what he was talking about. There are some that would say, as he declares these things in the bulk of his song, it's a recollection of what God has done. In other words, it's historical. When he came out of Taman, uh, when the, the, the tents of Kishon shook, that's Kishon is Ethiopia, and, and the struggle that, that Israel had there. So some would say that it's a recollection of what God has done. In other words, it's historical. Some other people would say, no, it's not historical. It's prophetic in nature. It's about what God is going to do, what's coming on the prophetic scope, the end of the age, if you would, when Jesus, in fact, returns. And I think God doesn't specify because he wants us to see both of them. He wants us to see the historical nature of what Habakkuk is saying. And he also wants us to see that it fits the, the time yet to come, the prophecies that are coming. If it is historical in nature, it's good for us to remember that we live, or our, I'm sorry, our faith has historical evidences. You and I can get on a plane today. And we can go to the nation of Israel, and we can tour the grounds there, and we can see where the Valley of Megiddo is, and we can see where the city of Petra is, and we can see the Mount of Olives, and we can see Jerusalem and the historical ruins. There's evidences that we can lay our eyes on to say we're part of a historical faith that has been around for thousands of years. We can see the places where God did his work and has um, committed himself to his people. God tells us in uh, the book of First Samuel to build our Ebenezers. Uh, you, you, you're familiar with the name Ebenezer from the, the, the Scrooge story and what have you. Um, the, the name Ebenezer means a rock of remembrance. And the first time it's used is in First Samuel chapter 7. And God tells them, build an Ebenezer here. And what he's saying is build an altar, build a memorial to say, remember that God has taken care of us this far. Look at all the things that God has done on our behalf. And so as we look at this song historically, we can look at the events that Habakkuk mentions and says, yeah, God has been there. God has been there. God is always taking care of us. God has always provided for us. And you and I need that in our lives as well. Because when we come to the questions of why, we often lose sight of what he has done. And so we need our rocks of remembrance. We need our prayer journals. Our, our moments in time where we would say to our friends, help me remember this, that God has provided for us. If I could testify over the years of all the things that God has done on our behalf, from uh, on a personal level as well as on a, a church level, you know, probably one of the greatest examples is, you know, we're just a, a relatively poor family uh, who's never made a ton of money, who decides to uh, reach across the nations to bring home a child. We decided to internationally adopt a boy. And we stepped out of faith, and, and, and just so in case you don't know, to adopt a child, it's more than the average year's salary. 
That's the kind of money we're talking about. We never had that kind of money. We've never, uh, today, we don't have much of a savings account. We just live very simply. But the way that God provided, and every time the money was due to our adoption agency, we had that money in the bank account. Time and time again, checks from people we wouldn't know, you know, just miraculous things. We raised money in different ways. We, we got to cook at BB's Mongolian. Michelle and I cooked at the grill. We, we did a fundraiser there. We cooked on the grill and, and raised like $900. People just came, people that didn't even know us were giving money to what we were doing. And God used all kinds of people. That's, that's the testimonies that we're trying to build to say, look, God has taken care of us thus far. We're in the midst of a season of why? Well, look what God has done. Look what God has done. If it's prophetic in nature, what Habakkuk is talking about here, if it's speaking of the times when Jesus shall return and that he's coming for us again, it's beneficial because it reminds us of his might and his power and that when God declares something is going to happen, it will. And we can rest in him. And we look forward to a day when all of our pain and all of our sorrow and all of our questions why will be removed when we see him face to face. And so whether Habakkuk is speaking of historical events or is speaking of future events, as he writes the song, I can't answer that question. But I don't think it matters much because either direction is beneficial on our behalf. We remember his power and his might. We remember his strength. He says then in verse 16, When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones. He felt sick to himself, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Habakkuk's like, oh, the Babylonians are coming. And it made him sick to his stomach that, that the nation had to walk through these things. But I also see in this, when he says this, that when we consider God's power, and that when we consider the might of our God, it should cause us to fear. In a reverent sort of way. If you study the Word of God thoroughly, if you look at any encounter between man and the spiritual realm, the man ends up on his face, afraid, shaking, trembling. The one time I think that you don't see it is when Gabriel visits Mary to tell her that she is with child. But Gabriel says, do not be afraid, indicating Mary, you may have room to be afraid of here. And he gives her peace in the, in the beginning of that. Even John, John, the one that laid at Jesus' breasts on the table, they were the best of friends. When John goes and sees Jesus in his full power and glory in the book of Revelation, he falls down as though dead. In fact, it's not even Jesus. He sees an angel. And he falls down as though dead. And the angel's like, dude, I'm created just like you. Get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. There's this, I think we are capable of missing 
a deep respect and reverence for our God. There's an attitude of Jesus is my homeboy. Right? That was the famous shirt that Madonna wore. Now, Jesus is not our homeboy. That's, that lacks the respect that he deserves. Through Jesus, we have we are permitted to call the Father Abba. You're familiar with that term? Abba means daddy. And it is a, a, a term, intimate term. But even in that intimate term, there is a reverence of a, a father-son relationship, of a father-daughter relationship. It's not, Jesus is my, you know, hang out on Friday night video game friend. That's, we, that loses the respect. There is an intimacy, but we need to revere him as well. Speaking of the Babylonians coming, he says in verse 17, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Remember what we talked about last week? Chuck Smith sneaking behind the gate and, and looking at the excavation of Israel, and there was the black line. Uh, of the sediment when the Babylonian Empire came and decimated the city of Jerusalem. And, he, and as they are uncovering that, that, that layer of, of time, if you would, evidence of time, there's these idols and trinkets that they're digging up and showing the evidence that the Israelites had fallen, in fact, far from God. There was a complete decimation that, God, that occurred when the Babylonians came. They lost, the Israelites lost everything. They were uprooted from their land. They were taken into captivity. The land lay decimate for a period of 70 years. There was, it was burned to the ground. The, the fig trees didn't bloom. The, the labor, the, the olives failed. The olive trees failed. The fields yielded no food for this period of time. And Habakkuk has come to terms with that. He says, although all of these things happened, the Babylonian judgment was going to be complete. It left nothing in Jerusalem. And Habakkuk says, okay, if that's what's going to happen, then look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Yet, although the destruction is coming, I've surrendered myself to that, he says, but even still, in spite of all that, uh, though all of these things happen, I'm still going to praise my God. I'm still going to worship him. I will rejoice in the Lord. That word rejoice there means to jump up and down. Right? We don't do a whole lot of that anymore. <laughs> At least I don't. My kids do it all the time. I will rejoice in the Lord. There's this exceedingly, you know, exceeding joy to the point that I can't, contain myself even physically, I'm going to jump up and down. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The joy there means to spin around. Habakkuk's saying, in the midst of the looming Babylonian judgment, I'm going to jump up and down and spin around like a kid. Because I love my God. I'm going to worship Him in this way. So when we have questions of God, when we are asking the question, why? We need to come to the point where we can say, no matter what happens in my life, 
I praise his name. Like Habakkuk, his world was about to be upended, and none of us know what tomorrow's going to bring. It could be a diagnosis, it could be a job loss, it could be the loss of a friend or a loved one, it could be an injury, it could be mental anguish. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but as we move from our questions of why God to worship, we need to say, no matter what happens in my life, I'll praise his name. That's what it is to move from why to worship. I will joy in the God of my salvation, he says there. In the midst of all the trials of our life, God in his love has become our salvation. May that not be lost on you and I, that he is the one who saves us. He is the one who pulls us out of the miry clay. He is the one who sets us on the rock. He is the one who saves because mercy triumphs over judgment. The Lord God is my strength, he says in verse 19. He'll make my feet like deer's feet. Not that he's going to change the form of our foot, but that they would be sure. That's the idea. You, your, your stance would be sure, strong. He will make me walk on my high heels. The last thought in this song is a declaration of Habakkuk's faith in God. He's got me, is what he's saying. The Lord is my strength. He's got me. And we need to grow to that point as well. And then to the chief musician with my string instruments. As we've studied through the minor prophets, we've read the story of Jonah, and we, now we've read the story of, of Habakkuk. Um, there's an interesting correlation between the two. Or an interesting, I guess, they were given similar situations and handled them handled the situation very differently. Uh, just to read from John Corson's commentary. Contrast, if you will, two prophets who struggled with God's will, Jonah and Habakkuk. Jonah ran from God when he heard what God would do. Habakkuk ran to God wondering what he would do. Jonah saw the salvation to the salvation of God to the Gentiles. Habakkuk saw the sovereignty of God through the Gentiles. Jonah's story ends in foolishness as he's worried about a gourd. Remember that? Habakkuk's story ends in faith as he trusts in God. The difference between Habakkuk and Jonah, between you and the persons who dis whose despair uh, who is despairing is simply this. Jonah had to learn in the fish. Habakkuk learned in the high tower. Remember he said, I'm going to the high tower to watch. Jonah had to learn in the fish. Habakkuk had to learn in the high tower. You and I have a choice. God is going to teach us because the just shall live by faith. The question is, 
where do you want to live? In the belly of the fish or on the high tide? So I think we need to look at Habakkuk and say, Lord, help me to move from my questions of why to a position of worship. And where I need to be corrected, you set the wrong right with it. Amen? Habakkuk's a good book. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed studying over the last couple of weeks. Thank you, Danny. Well done. That was good. Yeah. Next week we are going to look at um, Second John. Yeah, John two. Second Epistle of John, which is actually the third book of John because you've got the Gospel of John. Not to confuse Let's stand. Let's close the prayer. John has a total of five books in the New Testament. Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, all written by John. God, thank you and praise you for this word in Habakkuk. Thank you, Father, for uh, instructing us in your might and in your power. Thank you for instructing us in how to rightly handle our questions, Lord. And I don't know if there's anybody here uh, that is struggling with the questions of why right now. But I pray that you would meet them in that place. Help them to know that your arms are big enough, your shoulders are strong enough to handle their questions. And that when we are in that place, we would build our rocks of remembrance, our Ebenezers, to see how you've cared for us thus far. And that we would set our eyes upon the hills from where you shall come, knowing that one day you're coming to take us home that we would see the power, the display of your power and might in all of creation and in our lives as well. And that would help us to move from our fear and our doubt and our questions of why to a place where we can say, no matter what happens in our life, Lord, we'll worship you. We thank you that you love us enough that your mercy triumphs over judgment and that you are our salvation. We look forward to the day when we see you face to face. Until then, may we remain faithful in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.